Section 66 of The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 2 by James Boswell. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Appendix A. In the Bodleian is the following autograph record by Johnson of Good Friday, March the 28th, Easter Sunday, March the 30th, and May the 4th, 1766, and the copy of the record of Saturday, March the 29th. They belong to the series published by the Reverend Mr. Strawn under the title of Prayers and Meditations, but they are not included in it. Good Friday, March the 28th, 1766. On the night before, I used proper collects and prayed when I arose in the morning. I had all the week an awe upon me, not thinking on Passion Week till I looked in the almanac. I have wholly forborne M, it's go back its meat, and wines except one glass on Sunday night. In the morning I rose and drank very small tea without milk, and had nothing more that day. This was the day on which Tetty died. I did not mingle much men in square brackets mention of her with the devotions of this day, because it is dedicated to more holy subjects. I mentioned her at church, and prayed once solemnly at home. I was twice at church, and went through the prayers without perturbation, but heard the sermons imperfectly. I came in both times at the second lesson, not hearing the bell. When I came home, I read the Psalms for the day, and one sermon in Clark. Scruples distract me, but at church I had hopes to conquer them. I bore abstinence this day not well, being at night insupportably heavy, but as fasting does not produce sleepiness, I had perhaps rested ill the night before. I prayed in my study for the day, and prayed again in my chamber. I went to bed very early, before eleven. After church, I selected collects for the sacraments. Finding myself, upon recollection, very ignorant of religion, I formed a purpose of studying it. I went down and sat to tea, but was too heavy to converse. Saturday the 29th. I rose at the time now usual, not fully refreshed, went to tea. A sudden thought of restraint hindered me. I drank but one dish. Took a purge for my health, still uneasy. Prayed and went to dinner. Dined sparingly on fish, in square brackets, added indifferent ink, about four. Went to Simpson. Was driven home by my physic. Drank tea and am much refreshed. I believe that if I had drank tea again yesterday, I had escaped the heaviness of the evening. Fasting that produces inability is no duty, but I was unwilling to do less than formerly. I had lived more abstemiously than as usual the whole week, and taken physic twice, which together made the fast more uneasy. 
thus much i have written medically to show that he who can fast long must have lived plentifully saturday march the twenty ninth seventeen sixty six i was yesterday very heavy i do not feel myself to-day so much impressed with awe of the approaching mystery i had this day a doubt like baxter of my state and found that my faith though weak was yet faith o oh god strengthen it since the last reception of the sacrament i hope i have no otherwise grown worse than as continuance in sin makes the sinner's condition more dangerous since last new year's eve i have risen every morning by eight at least not after nine which is more superiority over my habits than i have ever before been able to obtain scruples still distress me my resolution with the blessing of god is to contend with them and if i can to conquer them my resolutions are to conquer scruples to read the bible this year to try to rise more early to study divinity to live methodically to oppose idleness to frequent divine worship almighty and most merciful father before whom i now appear laden with the sins of another year suffer me yet again to call upon thee for pardon and peace o god grant me repentance grant me reformation grant that i may be no longer distracted with doubts and harassed with vain terrors grant that i may no longer linger in perplexity nor waste in idleness that life which thou hast given and preserved grant that i may serve thee in firm faith and diligent endeavour and that i may discharge the duties of my calling with tranquillity and constancy take not o god thy holy spirit from me but grant that i may so direct my life by thy holy laws as that when thou shalt call me hence i may pass by a holy and happy death to a life of everlasting and unchangeable joy for the sake of jesus christ our lord amen i went to bed at one or later but did not sleep though i knew not why easter day march the thirtieth seventeen sixty six i rose in the morning prayed took my prayer book to tea drank tea planned my devotion for the church i think prayed again went to church was early went through the prayers with fixed attention could not hear the sermon after sermon applied myself to devotion troubled with baxter's scruple which was quieted as i returned home it occurred to me that the scruple itself was its own confutation i used the prayer against scruples in the foregoing page in the pew and commended so far as it was lawful teddy dear teddy in a prayer by herself then my other friends what colleagues i do not exactly remember i gave a shilling i then went towards the altar that i might hear the service the communicants were more than i ever saw i kept back used again the foregoing prayer again commended teddy and lifted up my heart for the rest 
I prayed in the collect for the fourteenth Sunday after Trinity for increase of faith, hope and charity and deliverance from scruples. This deliverance was the chief subject of my prayers. O oh God, hear me. I am now trying to conquer them. After reception, I repeated my petition, and again when I came home. My dinner made me a little peevish, not much. After dinner, I retired, and read in an hour and a half the seven first chapters of St. Matthew in Greek. Glory be to God. God grant me to proceed and improve for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. I went to evening prayers and was undisturbed. At church in the morning it occurred to me to consider about example of good any of my friends had set me. This is proper in order to the thanks returned for their good examples. My attainment of rising gives me comfort and hope. O oh God, for Jesus Christ's sake, bless me. Amen. After church, before and after dinner, I read Rotherham on faith. After evening prayer, I retired and wrote this account. I then repeated the prayer of the day with collects and my prayer for night, and went down to supper at near ten. May the 4th, 66. I have read since noon of Easter Day the Gospels of St. Matthew and St. Mark in Greek. I have read Xenophon's Cyropedia. Bodleian Library, Select Autographs, Montague. Appendix B. Johnson's sentiments towards his fellow subjects in America have never, so far as I know, been rightly stated. It was not because they fought for liberty that he had come to dislike them. A man who, bursting forth with a generous indignation, had said, The Irish are in a most unnatural state, for we see there the minority prevailing over the majority. Ante, volume 2, page 255, was not likely to wish that our plantations should be tyrannically governed. The man who, in company with some very grave men at Oxford, gave as his toast, Here's to the next insurrection of the Negroes in the West Indies. Post, volume 3, page 200, was not likely to condemn insurrections in general. The key to his feelings is found in his indignant cry, How is it that we hear the loudest yelps for liberty among the drivers of Negroes. Ibid. He hated slavery as perhaps no man of his time hated it, while the Quakers, who were almost the pioneers of the anti-slavery cause, were still slaveholders and slave dealers, he lifted up his voice against it. So early as 1740, when Washington was but a child of eight, he had maintained the natural right of the Negroes to liberty and independence. Works, volume 6, page 313. In 1756, he described Jamaica as a place of great wealth and dreadful wickedness. 
a den of tyrants and a dungeon of slaves. Ibid, volume 6, page 130. In 1759 he wrote, Of black men the numbers are too great who are now repining under English cruelty. Ibid, volume 6, page 407. In the same year, in describing the cruelty of the Portuguese discoverers, he said, We are openly told that they had the less scruple concerning their treatment of the savage people, because they scarcely considered them as distinct from beasts. And indeed the practice of all the European nations, and among others of the English barbarians that cultivate the southern islands of America, proves that this opinion however absurd and foolish, however wicked and injurious, still continues to prevail. Interest and pride harden the heart, and it is in vain to dispute against avarice and power. Ibid, volume 5, page 218. No miserable sophistry could convince him, with his clear mind and his ardour for liberty, that slavery can be right. An individual, he wrote, post volume 3, page 202, may indeed forfeit his liberty by crime, but he cannot by that crime forfeit the liberty of his children. How deeply he felt for the wrongs done to helpless races is shown by his dread of discoverers. No man had a more eager curiosity or more longed that the bounds of knowledge should be enlarged, yet he wrote, I do not much wish well to discoveries, for I am always afraid that they will end in conquest and robbery. Crocus Boswell In his Life of Savage, written in 1744, he said, Works, Volume 8, page 156, Savage has not forgotten to censure those crimes which have been generally committed by the discoverers of new regions, and to expose the enormous wickedness of making war upon barbarous nations because they cannot resist, and of invading countries because they are fruitful. He has asserted the natural equality of mankind, and endeavoured to suppress that pride which inclines men to imagine that right is the consequence of power. He loved the University of Salamanca because it gave as its opinion that the conquest of America by the Spaniards was not lawful. And her volume 1, page 455. When in 1756 the English and French were at war in America, he said that such was the contest that no honest man could heartily wish success to either party. It was only the quarrel of two robbers for the spoils of a passenger. Ante, volume 1, page 308, note 2. When, from political considerations, opposition was raised in 1766 to the scheme of translating the Bible into earth, he wrote, To omit for a year or for a day the most efficacious method of advancing Christianity in compliance with any purposes that terminate on this side of the grave is a crime of which I know not what the world has yet had an example except in the practice of the planters of America, a race of mortals whom I suppose no other man wishes to resemble. 
Ante, volume 2, page 27. Englishmen as a nation had no right to reproach their fellow subjects in America with being drivers of Negroes, for England shared in the guilt and the gain of that infamous traffic. Nay, even as the Virginian delegates to Congress in 1774 complained, repeated attempts to exclude all further importations of slaves from Africa by prohibition, and by imposing duties which might amount to prohibition, have hitherto been defeated by His Majesty's negative. Thus preferring the immediate advantage of a few British corsairs to the lasting interests of the American states, and to the rights of human nature deeply wounded by this infamous practice. Wright's Speeches Franklin Memoirs, writing from London in 1772, speaks of the hypocrisy of this country, which encourages such a detestable commerce by laws for promoting the Guinea trade, while it piqued itself on its virtue, love of liberty, and the equity of its courts in setting free a single negro. From the slightest stain of this hypocrisy, Johnson was free. He, at all events, had a right to protest against the yelps of those who, while they solemnly asserted that among the unalienable rights of all men are liberty and the pursuit of happiness, yet themselves were drivers of Negroes. End of section 66. End of volume 2 of The Life of Samuel Johnson by James Boswell.